It is April 4th, 1960. We are at the 32nd Academy Awards, and it is time for the big award of the night where we award the best movie of 1959, The Envelope, Please. And the winner is Ben-Hur. Judah yes. Ben-Hur. <laughs> yes, it Do is. you know, for the longest time, I legitimately thought... His whole name was just Ben Hur. Like I thought first name Ben, last name Hur for the longest time. <laughs> well, no, he definitely does not go by Ben Hur basically the entire movie. No, not uh, at all. They kept calling him by his real first name. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> did I did I miss something? When did when did that happen? <laughs> Embarrassing. I, you know, but he's proud of his heritage, so that's why the Ben Hur is I, I guess in important. Um I mean, and I don't know what else we would have called this. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Chariots? Uh, uh, no, I, I feel like Forrest Gump Jesus would work. <laughs> <laughs> that is accurate. No, that's actually really important, too, because I also, you know, growing up and only knowing of this movie, I genuinely thought he was a real person and not fiction. <laughs> um, No, uh, I... That's the thing with a lot of these biblical historical epics um, is, I mean, there are so many that are based in the Bible um, that you kind of go into these assuming like, oh, this is like another Samson and Delilah or, um, you know, other the Ten Commandments or whatever. And it's not. It's 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 just um, it's just, as I said, been her Jesus. This is what I think of. Uh, yes. I was thinking that as I as I watched the movie. Um, uh, anyway, so yeah, that that's fun. Anyway, no, this is gonna be this is gonna be a really fun year to talk about. We kind of teased this in our last episode, but there are so many, not even just like important films that came out in 1959, but some of my absolute favorite movies came out in 1959. This is a humongous year. I would. I would almost compare this to 1939 in terms of quality of films that came out. What do you say to that? Are we going to make our theory like every 20 years there's a 1939? Oh my gosh. Well, that would take us to 1979, which is Kramer versus Kramer. So yeah, absolutely. We can make that. We can make that statement. (laughs) 1999. Ooh, American Beauty. Ooh, hasn't aged well. Ooh. (laughs) What else is that year? The Insider? The Insider, Girl Interrupted. That wasn't picture, though. That was just supporting actress. Maybe this maybe this theory... Oh, this <gasps> Ooh, it was Sixth Sense, though. So we got a, a fun horror film. There you go. I mean, maybe there are good... I mean, but then there's also Last Year. Was Last Year good? Parasite Bear? Eh. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Parasite's one of my favorites. So that's... Yeah, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> but then that also means that we have to include 19... 19- uh, no, we don't, because 1929 was only 10 years before. So, yeah, that would make, yeah, Boom. every 20 years we get. <laughs> we get a pretty phenomenal year of film. I love that. Um, what do you say we just dive right in? I feel like we're going to be discussing almost every single one of these movies. We should probably just get this going here. Let's start off with Best Supporting Actress. This is um, a peculiar little category. Uh, by the way, did you did you get to watch Room at the Top? I'm very curious. I'm so, so sorry. I did not get to watch Room at the Top. But I do know a fact about the nominee from this movie. Oh, I can't wait. 
she's only in it for like two minutes, right? Yeah, Hermione Baddeley, which she was in Gigi, right? She was one of the girls in Gigi, or am I getting her mixed up with somebody? No, that's uh, Hermione Greengold. There we go. Oh, you're right. Yes. Okay, a lot of... She's either... I'm trying to remember. She's like the next door neighbor or like the the maid or something. Or uh-huh. like the friend to Simone Signore, which is... But she's only in it for just like a little bit. She does nothing. She literally does nothing. So her nomination makes zero sense to me. Uh, in an otherwise really great movie. And she's... I mean, like, she... Um... She did win a Tony Award in 1963 for uh, The Milk Train Doesn't Stop Here Anymore, which, by the way, is made into a movie called Boom with Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. That is bizarre. Um, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> um, she uh, She's a voice in the Aristocats. Oh, my gosh. Is she the, the, the old lady who has the cats? Madame yep. Adelaide Bonfamily. That would be correct. Yep, she's the, the matriarch. That was hilarious. And she also won a Golden Globe for her role on the television series Maud. Maud! Okay, so maybe this is kind of like a, our our chance to nominate you kind of a deal, you know? Yeah, that's got to that was... be it. She apparently seems to have played Maud's maid. You know what? And that's why I think she's a maid in this one, too. I really think she is. <laughs> she must just have that look about her. <laughs> she, has a, she, has a, she has a maidish, a maidish uh, quality, you might Hollywood, say. Hollywood typecasting at its finest. Nice. So let's see. We've got, we've got a couple nominations for Imitation of Life, both mm-hmm. Susan Conner and Juanita Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, Imitation of Life is uh, it's a good movie. Um, uh, Susan Conner would not be cast in that role today because she's not actually half black. Um, but Imitation of Life is a, uh, remake of a 1934 film. Uh, this one is a little bit more just straight soap opera. It's a Douglas Sirk movie. So if you know anything about Douglas Sirk, you should know what that means stylistically. And, um... Basically, Lana Turner plays a woman who uh, befriends a um, on the beach one day uh, in New York. Um, she and her young daughter, she's a single mom, befriend a black woman and her young daughter. Um, and the young daughter is very, very fair skinned. Um, and uh, and the. The black mother, uh, Annie is the character's name. She's played by Juanita Moore, uh, explains that the father was was very light skinned or something like that. And uh, basically the movie ends up being both about the romantic drama that's in Lana Turner's life, which includes a love affair with John Gavin. Her daughter grows up to be um, uh, uh, Sandra D. Um, and there's a whole story with like Sandra D falling for John Gavin and there's like a love triangle over there. But then there's also this really interesting storyline about race where this girl who is the daughter of um, a maid basically, because Juanita Moore ends up being the maid for 
Lana Turner's character, who is um, uh, becomes a famous actress. Um, she um, resents her second class lifestyle, basically, and wants to pass um, as white and um, break away from her mother and not have to be burdened by that anymore. Um, she dates a white boy at one point and he ends up beating her up when he finds out. Um, and then later she runs away and tries to make it as like a showgirl or something. And all this happens and her mom's just kind of the long suffering character who's having to deal with this. But the movie is a very, very interesting expo- exploration of race that is, uh, very much um, not what you necessarily expect in a movie of this period. Um, and it uh, Susan Conner does a, does a very good job, but I mean, there is that heavy asterisk in the fact that she does, is not actually uh, part black as opposed to in the original version where Freddie Washington played the role and she was part black. Um, Juanita, Juanita Moore plays, I think, a much more, um, a much less stereotypical version of her character than in the earlier version with Louise Beavers, where they they play her a little bit more, um, uh, you know, it's a little bit more stereotypical black woman, mm-hmm. uh, very uh, simple-minded character, and and not realistic. Whereas Juanita Moore has um, intelligence. And she does such a, a great job in the role. So it's a very interesting movie. It's an important movie in history. And um, and I do uh, recommend it. Yes. And I would say you're describing the plot line there. Yeah, it's the race plot of this movie is where the meat and potatoes are. And that's the reason to see this movie. And yes, I would single out Juanita Moore as well. She's phenomenal in this role. I love it. Yep. Um, and then we have our old favorite friend in her last nomination, or second to last. Somewhere around there. We might see her again. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, let's see. Her last nomination. Is she nominated for, um, what is it? Uh, Birdman of Alcatraz? Yes. Yes, she is. Okay. Um, so this is her fifth nomination. Yes, this is Thelma Ritter, by the way. Thelma Ritter. This is her nomination for Pillow Talk. Now, I I love Pillow Talk. I love this movie so much. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Pillow Talk? Pillow Talk, which we'll get another chance to talk about in just a second. Yes. Um, Pillow Talk is one of my favorite romantic comedies. Um, I There are three movies with... Uh, Doris Day and Rock Hudson, and all of them are worth watching, but Pillow Talk is the best of the three. And um, uh, Thelma Ritter plays the drunken maid mm-hmm. movie, and she, uh, I mean, she's she's strictly comic relief, but as with everything Thelma Ritter does, she's fantastic in it. And I really would like for her to have an Oscar. Me too. And I would be, honestly, I would be totally fine if she had gotten her Oscar for this, um, because the, the winner was Shelley Winters, our final nominee for The Diary of Anne Frank. You know, Shelley Winters already has an Oscar at this point, um, and Thelma Ritter does not. And I think this is a really 
this is just like classic Thelma Ritter, you know, that drunken, as you said, comic relief. But she also is the one who gets him together finally, you know. So she uh, is very integral to the overall plot. She is. Um, a really quick amendment here. Shelley Winters gets another Oscar. She doesn't have it yet. It's just oh, clear. she gets, right, a patch of blue would come after this. You're right. This is Shelley Winters' first Oscar, but she will get another. Thank you for that. Yes. Yes. Um, and I mean, like, um, you know, The Diary and Frank was such an important film. They were going to give a major award to someone. Right. You know, but I, I guess they just, um, because there's another movie that was so epic that kind of swept in. It kind of swept Diary under the rug, and she just ended up getting this one nomination. Um, I don't know. I mean, I like Shelley Winters just fine. I like she's she's fine in this movie. Um, totally, and it makes sense. I mean, it is a very um, <laughs> dramatic part. Let's put it that way. If we're comparing Shelley Winters and Anne Frank versus Thelma Ritter and Pillow Talk, I mean, these are just almost as opposite as you can get. <laughs> I mean, they, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. They, um, whenever a movie has that level of, uh, importance added onto it, it ends up getting this attention. Right. The prestige of the film. Prestige. And so that kind of can power someone to a win, even though, um, this is a category that, uh, has one, interesting nomination and then three other really strong performances so right um anyway um it's fine though shelly winters is uh a stalwart supporting actress in our history so she can keep that, it still that she is all right let's roll over to the boys supporting actor we have our first win for Ben Hur in the supporting actor category, it went to British actor Hugh Griffith for playing an Arab, which is wildly offensive. Uh, yes, this is um, it's interesting too because um, uh, for the for the most part, you just have a an Israel that's that's populated with. I mean, it's not Israel in the movie, but you know that that area. Right. Um, a Middle Eastern uh, area, uh, completely seemingly populated by white people, and um, <laughs> only white people, <laughs> only white people, except for this one guy that they decide to put in, <laughs> in the uh, in the makeup. And I just thought it was so interesting because it's like they they don't do that with. Uh, we're just supposed to assume that I suppose that the Jews are white people. Exactly. Uh, they're just totally blue-eyed white people. And um, and then when you run into an Arab sheik, he is a brown, a bronzed white person. That's what I'm saying. It literally looked like they took self-tanner and just spread it all over his face. It's not even a good makeup job. No, at first I thought they were just trying to make him look like he was weather-beaten. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Like, I thought, like, oh, he's supposed to look like he never goes inside. But no, that's not it. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's difficult for me to co-sign a, an offensive win like this. Yeah, I really uh, can't. And also, I don't think he's even the best supporting player in Ben-Hur. Personally, no, I'm a he's little... 
Yeah, I'm a little um, confused as to why Stephen Boyd didn't show up in the supporting actor category. Oh, yeah. Or, um, oh, what's the actor's name? Um, uh, uh, the one who plays, um, wait, wait, the one who plays, Jack Hawkins, the one who plays his, uh, his adoptive. Oh, yes. He's, oh, you're so right. Yes, yes. The, uh, I can't remember his name either. Cassius? No, it's not right. Um, um, but yes, the one who adopts him. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. He would have yeah, made a I lot. Those would have been, would have been wonderful nominations. And I walked away thinking much more about them in the movie than, than poor old Hugh. Me too. Also, have you heard the, there's kind of a, I don't know, a little legend behind the Stephen Boyd character, Masala, and Judah Ben-Hur, where the screenwriter, I guess the, the whole scene wasn't working when they initially meet again, after all the years from being childhood friends. It wasn't working, and the screenwriter had the idea, and he talked to Willie Wyler, and Stephen Boyd was like, well, what if you play this like um, your lovers? You know, you love Ben-Hur, and you're kind of... Um, hurt by him kind of, you know, um, double-crossing you, essentially. So when you watch those early scenes with that in mind, there is totally a bunch of sexual chemistry between these two actors. And it's hilarious because everybody knew about it except for Charlton Heston. And I think the reason behind that is very obvious, being as homophobic as he was. But isn't that just, isn't that just so interesting that that's kind of what made the scene work? Oh yeah, no, it, it's definitely it's definitely obvious to you. There is a from the very first time I see them together on screen, there's a we, there's a vibe, you know. Um, and uh, I think it's interesting that Stephen Boyd played it that way. There's also been some who have made uh, rumors about Stephen Boyd's uh, sexuality, even though he does have quite documented relationships and marriages. Um, he never had any children, and. Oh. Um, which, I mean, we always go like, oh. <laughs> Could mean absolutely <laughs> nothing. <laughs> and uh, while, uh, for whatever reason, it is not included in his IMDb, um, he, uh, he, there was, um, I, Raquel Welch um, said in an interview that she was making a movie with him and she desperately wanted to hook up with him. Oh. And um, she kept trying to seduce him. And then one day um, she finally uh, she finally um, got him to come over to her place or something. Uh, and when she did um, and she tried to hook up with him, he she says he said <laughs> <laughs> he said she said <laughs> um uh i'd like to tell you a story that was told to me by john gilgood when i was working at the national theater you'll have to think about it for a moment uh but i want i hope you get my drift an actress is a little more than a woman but an actor is a little less than a man Ooh, okay. Said, I and then she said, "I thought, oh, he's not interested in me. I'm the wrong sex." So she assumed, okay. So Raquel Welch, who is that he, breathtakingly gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, who is one of the best-looking women to ever walk the face of the planet. <laughs> um, 
apparently thinks that uh, he didn't want to sleep with her because he was gay. So... I mean, uh, I see it. I see it. Also, he is... I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I, it's wrong to assume, but I mean, that's that's some pretty fun evidence. And I mean, Stephen Boyd is just so yummy in this movie. It's ridiculous. He When he's shirtless in like the, the I don't know, like the shower scene before the, the big chariot race. I don't know where they are. I don't know where they are. Maybe in my brain, I made it into a shower scene. It's it probably like not that. MCA. I don't know <laughs> what <laughs> They're definitely in the YMCA in ancient Rome. it's no he he's beautiful and i truly but also beyond that like i think his character and his part just stands out way more than hugh griffith's character does you know i think the sheik ends up being just this sort of comic relief i mean he's played in my opinion very stereotypically and way way over exaggerated to where it just kind of is fluffy um and Stephen Boyd brings actual emotion to this, you know, tarnished old childhood friend of Ben-Hur. And it just carries a lot more weight, in my opinion. Yeah. And their last scene together is is fantastic. It's so. fantastic. Yeah, it's absolutely wonderful. So I would swap those two out. Um, but let's get into the other nominations. I would love to talk with you about Anatomy of a Murder. I did get to watch this one. Oh, my God. <laughs> I loved this movie. Talk about style. This I movie mean, has style just seeping out of it. The jazzy score, the cinematography. I yeah, I ate this movie up. I loved it. It's it's honestly the most modern feeling movie I think Jimmy Stewart made. Um, you know? Because oh, uh, yeah. it doesn't feel like it's gonna be a Jimmy Stewart movie. It doesn't you know what I'm saying? But he him being in it grounds it in such an interesting way, you know, because he adds that level of um, respect mm-hmm. to a very offbeat, uh, not offbeat, I don't know if that's the right word, but a very, like, um, modern for the time film, you know. Yeah, I uh, totally agree. Um, and I love Lee Rimmick in it. Uh, yes. Where's her nomination? That's um, very true. It's such a good mystery, too. I love a good, I love myself a good courtroom drama, but um, I love a good, and ma- match that with a good murder mystery, and you got yourself Rance Catnip. So. Um, <laughs> I will say, though, the nomination for Arthur O'Connell, I'm not a big fan of. I don't think he does anything particularly great in this movie. He's the fine you know, supporting player to Jimmy Stewart, the drunk who gets sober and becomes his partner. Yeah. Fine. There's nothing. I I, th- I feel like a lot of times those, I mean, like Thelma Ritter got her nomination for playing the drunk. I suppose those True. types of roles happen all the time. But um, for some reason, the Academy is all like, oh, let's nominate the drunk. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it must um, be a stretch for sure. him. No, I'm more on board. Um, I'm more on board with the George C. Scott nom. Listen. Georgie Scott is fire in this movie, and he's also so sexy. Just when he's just, like, you know, cross-examining these people, and he keeps his cool so mm-hmm. well, because like that's what I think is so great about this film, is there's so much, like, passion and energy and, like, anger bubbling underneath all these characters. But since they're in the courtroom and they have to, you know, kind of keep the peace they they control it so well and i think he does that better than jimmy stewart did because 
I think Jimmy Stewart kind of lets himself go off a little bit in this movie, as the character does. But George C. Scott knows that he has to kind of keep his cool to kind of beat Jimmy Stewart in the end game, you know? And yeah, he does no. so well. He does. He does. Uh, I'm reminded that this movie also has another one of my favorite supporting players in it. Not to take the focus off the guys. Um, Eve Arden is in this movie as well. Yes. Um, and I am just now aware of the fact that she was never nominated for an Academy Award. And that makes me sad. Anyway. <laughs> was she not nominated for Mildred Pierce? No. <gasps> really? Right? Yeah. Anne Blythe was nominated, but not her. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm getting my Anne's mixed up. <laughs> yes, Anne Blythe got and it. And my Hermione's mixed up. Yeah. <laughs> Did we recommend Murder Mildred Pierce enough on the last time we talked about it? Because I, I mean, feel like let's recommend again. <laughs> Fifteen years later, you should still go back and watch Mildred Pierce if you haven't seen it because it is fun. Um, I uh. Anyway, uh, so we have another uh, nomination uh, for the Diary of Anne Frank. Um, uh, by uh, with Edwin, mm-hmm. um, who's uh, an acting family. Uh, Keenan Wen is his child, and he was in a ton of movies as well. And then um, his uh, great granddaughter would be Jessica Keenan Wen, who you might have seen as the young version of Christine Baranski in Mamma Mia. Here we go again. Yes! Oh my gosh, that's so true. I love that. And she does a great job in that movie. She she looks and sounds just like Christine Baranski in the movie, so she does a great yeah. job. Um, I do not know anything about the young Philadelphians other than it is a Paul Newman film. Yep. Um, and uh, I, I know Robert Vaughn uh, mainly because... Uh, he would go on to be known mainly for playing a very tongue-in-cheek straight man um, in uh, the 60s show The Man from Uncle, um, which I haven't seen, but he did a lot of things in that vein after that, where he just kind of plays that, um, you know, the comic version of James Bond kind of thing, you know? Right, 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 yes. Um, and uh, and he had a very pro- prolific career. He's another one that if you don't know him, you've probably seen him in something. He's he did a bunch. Um, so I I mean like I don't like I would have get, probably given it to George C. Scott. Yep, this would for me George C. Scott takes it hand and cake. He's so good in this movie, so so good. Do we want to do actor or actress first? We want to do oh. actor. Let's do actor. We can always save actress. <laughs> or do we, let's do actress just because, actually, I'm changing my mind. Uh, the All three of the top awards are the same. The other three awards after this are the same movie. So That's very true. You're right. So let, let's uh, knock out best actress. Um, we were just talking about Pillow Talk, so let's go ahead and start with Doris Day. Yes, let's. Uh, Doris Day 100% deserves this nomination. Um, she, everything that is great about Doris Day is encapsulated in Pillow Talk. It is, uh, the pinnacle of her screen persona. 
Hands down. Hands down. Like, everything about it, the fashion, the interior design. That, I mean, she's an interior designer, but even the designs that they have for, like, their separate apartments and even, like, where they work and everything. Like, this movie just reeks, you know, um, class. Uh, and even the music, too, when she's singing, you know, she does everything in this movie. And there's that great scene when she's driving back um, in the car and she's just bawling for, like, 20 minutes. It's ridiculous. It's hilarious. But, like, it's it's hard to do. You know what I mean? Like, there is a skill that's involved in this role, which I think she makes it look so effortless. And that's why I agree with you. Uh, this nomination is so deserved. It's a much more challenging role than I think people initially think. Well, you know, these types of roles are so rarely nominated. I think about um, Diane Keaton, you know, ends up winning for for a comic role, and she's also nominated for Something's Gotta Give later. Mm-hmm. Um, but that um, is the exception. You know, you don't usually get... Um, these types of romantic comedy roles getting their recognition. And the thing is, Doris Day is the expert at this particular type of role. Mm-hmm. And um, she does, obviously, and up until this point in her career, she was mainly known for musicals because she does have a beautiful singing voice. Um, she has like that, um, oh man, I'm trying to think of who, it's 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 a little being Crosby-esque, you know, it's that kind of like a female crooner, you know, does that make sense? It's so smooth and pleasant. Yeah. Listen to, you know, um, it's not that she's not a belter. She's not a, um, a power singer necessarily, but she has the most, she has a very pure voice and it's very comforting to listen to. I guess that's the best way to put it, you know? Yes, I totally agree. I want to talk about one more moment in this movie with her because it's probably my favorite Doris Day reaction ever. (laughs) It's when she's with Rock Hudson in the little, like, you know, country cottage thing and she's playing the piano. And when she realizes that the song that she's playing, which is sheet music that Rock Hudson has, it's the song that she was hearing him sing over the phone and she finally puts it together that this is the guy on the phone and not this other guy. And it's she hits the note on the piano and her face just shoots up and it's like she puts it together and it clicks and you know that she knows that this is not the guy that she thought he was. And it's <laughs> so perfect. Oh, it's one of my favorite like screen reactions ever. It's so well done. And that's something that that Doris Day, the reason she's such a great comic actress is because, you know, she's this very pretty woman who just knows how to use her face in a way that that makes you laugh really, really hard. She she is uh, she's a truly she's a truly great actress. And this movie is also interesting in that you have uh, Rock Hudson, who was gay in real life. And the story of this movie, like, she she shares what is called a party line, which at the time, some people, like, shared a phone number in an apartment building or a neighborhood. Um, and so she shares a party line with this guy who lives in the same building as her. And um, he's always on the phone. And he's always talking to girls. And she's just so annoyed with that. And so when he ends up running into her in real life, he decides he's going to pretend to be somebody else and seduce her. And his somebody else is a man who knows not women. 
Mm, you're right. I didn't catch that. Yes. Uh, and so it, 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 I, I feel like it's tongue in cheek. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, and of course, uh, Rock Hudson is beautiful in the film. Oh my God. That enough. And there is my favorite moment, the iconic moment, uh, when they were talking on the phone in the bathroom. Um, someday this will probably just be my bathroom. When I have money, this will be my bathroom wall. Uh, it's, uh, a split screen of the two of them and it's cut in a way that their feet end up right on top of each other. Yeah. Uh, and it's part of what makes this movie so clever is there is sexual innuendo that it, to me seems so obvious now. But, oh yeah. But it's so subtle in how they they present it that it's it's just brilliant it's such a good movie you guys should go see this oh yes highly 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 recommend let's get into audrey hepburn's next nomination for best actress the nun's story i did not get a chance to see this one i'm so sorry but please tell us well you get to talk about simone senior so um audrey hepburn uh we have talked about a couple times now um i have a few more times to talk about her too she is one of the she's a legend i mean she is the definition of a screen legend um and i would say her next to marilyn monroe is probably the most stylistically revered actress of all time um she's somebody who people have posters of her on their wall even if they've never seen a movie with her she is um just one of those types of actresses and the great thing about the nun story is she plays a woman who is very uh, devout, and she goes into the nunnery, um, and we go through, beat by beat, her journey in becoming a nun, you know, which is a whole process. You don't just become a nun. You have to be a novice and then, you know, go through all this stuff and then take your final vows and blah, 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 blah. And um, she takes us through that, and... What she wants to do as a nun is she wants to work with the sick and she wants to do it in um, the Belgian Congo. Um, And she discovers on her way that perhaps within her order or within the church itself, there is not as much faith and charity as she thinks there should be or thought there would be. And so she ends up struggling with whether or not she wants to stay a nun. Right. And it's very small and it's very simple, Mm -hmm. but it is beautiful and it has one of my favorite endings in any film ever. Ooh, but don't you often find that, I think we've, we've been watching all these movies, the smaller, more intimate, simpler stories usually invoke the better performances, you know, overall. It is, I And it is a great performance from her, in large part because as a nun who is not supposed to be, who's supposed to be very contained, mm-hmm. it all has to happen on her face. It all has to happen in her eyes. And there isn't anybody who has more communicative eyes than Audrey Hepburn. And yes, and it's 
fascinating to watch her go through the phases uh, that she goes through from being committed to her first seeds of doubt. It's um, it's it's fascinating to watch her go through this crisis of faith in the film. Amazing. I love that. So nomination very well deserved. Yes, I am 100% bored. Okay, let's get into the double nomination for Suddenly Last Summer. Both Katherine Hepburn and Elizabeth Taylor received nominations for William of this movie. <laughs> My double nomination. Uh, it's super duper good. Because <laughs> literally, this is like just an acting standoff between Katherine Hepburn and Elizabeth Taylor. They both give some of their their best work in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you start out with Catherine Hep- you you go through Montgomery Clift to meet them. Yes. And Montgomery Clift is uh, is a doctor and Catherine Hepburn wants him to perform a lobotomy on her niece played by Elizabeth Taylor because she professes that Elizabeth Taylor is going mad because of something that happened to Catherine Hepburn's son suddenly last summer yes (laughs) and basically the movie just trades off long monologues between katherine hepburn and elizabeth taylor um katherine hepburn in the first scene it's like 30 minutes long and she gives this she just she it's basically katherine hepburn talking and montgomery cliff occasionally interjecting for um for like 30 minutes and i can't even explain to you it's the most compelling monologue yeah. And then we go and we meet Elizabeth Taylor and she gets her own little monologue for like a half hour. And whereas Kate is like controlled and rigid, Elizabeth Taylor is like a little bit looser and more feeling in what she's doing. And so it's a nice contrast. And then the end of the movie is this long monologue from Elizabeth Taylor that's uh, cut in with some flashbacks to what happened suddenly last summer. And when you start to realize where it's going, you can yes. tell me how you felt about this, but when you start <laughs> to realize where it's going, you suddenly get this thought like, no, they're not, no, <laughs> they're not oh, gonna, yeah. they're, uh, wait, uh, 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 oh. are you, are you, are you feeling more Kate or Elizabeth here? <sighs> Catherine Hepburn. I have to. I can't not go with Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> Just is, from the beginning moment where she descends the, the elevator lift. I, like, <laughs> talk about screen entrances. I just can't. I, I can't argue with that. Like, it's perfect. <laughs> it is perfect. And and it truly is. It's it, This is a co-lead. This is, this, is, this is a legitimate double nomination. This is not any question. Yes. Um, that's very, very true. Yeah, I love that they both got nominated in single doubts. However, Rancey didn't win. Uh, the winner went to Simone Signore for Room at the Top. Yeah, now, I love this movie. She, 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 she deserved this win for so many reasons. I mean, talk about like a, just a great melodrama is what this movie really is. It's all about uh, social climbing. You know, uh, Lawrence Harvey, who did receive a nomination for leading actor for this movie, he's climbing the social ladder, kind of like, or I should say not unlike 
A Place in the Sun with Montgomery Cliff. Same kind of a thing where he develops this relationship with the girl of a boss that he wants to work for. Um, but the her parents don't really want him to date her because he's of lower class. So they decide to, like, send her away. So when she's gone, he develops this relationship with this older woman, played by Simone Signore, who is in an unhappy marriage to a rich guy, and they develop an affair. Um, but when the girl comes back, uh, I can't remember her name right now. Alice? No, it doesn't sound right. Whatever her name is. Um, they get back together, and uh, he gets her pregnant, and... Uh, this whole series of things happens. I'm kind of saying this out of order, but basically he decides not to keep the affair going with Simone Signore, and she is distraught, and her husband finds out, and eventually she kind of drinks herself to death and crashes her car and ends up dying. Um, so it's just, just this tragic, you know, um, love triangle between all these people just trying to climb out of whatever social class that they're in and ultimately not being able to. They're kind of confined to the roles they were assigned. Um, but it just reeks with mood. I mean, this is kind of one of those movies where almost like a Betty Davis with the smoking the cigarettes, like that is a character in itself when Simone Signore is smoking in this movie. It's just so, I don't know, alluring. You know what I mean? It just has this whole aura about it. And she plays it so well, this kind of just broken down bored, you know, mm -hmm. lifeless woman who finally gets the spark of life brought back when Lawrence Harvey comes into her life, and then he takes that away, and she just has no more will to live after that, so it's heartbreaking. Um, yeah, I, I love it. I love this movie. <laughs> it does sound pretty incredible. I, I feel like I'm going to have to watch this now. Yeah, I really uh, think you would like it. It is, as far as melodrama goes, like, it's really, really well done and grounded in reality, so it, it's what kind of pulls it off. Well, you know, I do enjoy uh, I do enjoy some reality. Yes, we love it. <laughs> I, always, I always say that. Um, uh, uh, anywho, well, that was. Um, I, I guess I have to watch this now. I'm, I'm excited. Yes, I would love to hear if you if you agree that she deserves this win, even over Elizabeth Taylor and uh, Doris Day. I still give the Oscar to Simone. I just I think it's such a unique and individual performance. I love it. Um. I mean, like, I, I'm totally, I'm totally down with that. Um, I, um, I feel like the, the nominations, the award for the rest of everybody, although I will say this is maybe Audrey Hepburn's best performance. That's all. Ooh, hoo, hoo, true. See, I need to watch Nun's Story, and then we can kind of compare. We'll do that. We'll see how we feel after that. Yeah. Uh, so that leads us to, to Best Actor, where we have, um, some uh, uh, somebody you just mentioned, Lawrence Harvey at, from Room at the Top. How do you feel about his performance in that film? He's really good. He's really, really good. It's very comparable to, as I said earlier, Monty Clift in A Place in the Sun, except I think Lawrence Harvey does more in this movie, if that makes sense, you know? Because it's not really about the crime in Place in the Sun, which it kind of ultimately becomes this kind of courtroom drama type of a deal. This isn't like that. This is much more like uh, a character study of a guy just trying to give himself a better future. And he okay. plays it really, really well. And he's also gorgeous. <laughs> so that helps. Yeah, he is gorgeous. If you don't know Lawrence Harvey, if you've seen the movie, um, uh, which I think is nominated for something, right? A couple years from this, uh, the... Um, what is it called? Uh, the Manchurian Candidate. Yes, that's Angela Lansbury's nomination. Yes. 
which we'll oh. get into that later. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a really tough year too. Um, yeah, you know that's uh, uh, okay. We'll get there. We'll, oh, <laughs> we will get there, Patty Duke. We will get there. We um, uh, anyway, but um, yeah, Lawrence Harvey uh, is a very interesting actor, um, and I don't have anything to say about this because I neglected to watch Room at the Top, as we have established several times now. So fair, fair. Just know his nomination is well deserved. I don't think he should have won, but I do like that he got the nomination. Um, Paul Muni is nominated again. Uh, for a movie I have, uh, I don't know. It's called The Last Angry Man. Yeah, um, I don't know much about it either. But, uh, I mean, I, Paul Muni did not make uh, many movies after the 1930s. Uh, he um, he kind of went into a quasi-retirement um, in the early 40s. And uh, this is his last film. Uh, he only made a few movies in the 40s and 50s. Uh, so after having a pretty stellar run of uh, of movies in the 30s where he was basically Warner Brothers' go-to for playing any type of any type of character, honestly, he was always in the male starring roles where he had to put a lot of makeup to transform into a character. Um, the Last Angry Man is his last uh, movie and his last, apparently, great performance. Um, Based on what I've seen him in, he is indeed an extremely good actor. I'm sure that the nomination was uh, quite deserved. Sure. And it's kind of cool that we're talking about him now, 23 years after he won his Oscar back in 1936 for the story of Louis Pasteur. And then we talked about him again the next year for The Life of Emile Zola, where he was again nominated in 1937. So like we're talking over 20 years, and he's still, you know nominated again i just love that i think it's so cool yeah well i i I think that um this shows that his reputation must have been such at the time that he could make a quote-unquote comeback movie and everybody would pay attention definitely it's kind of like what i would assume happened with peter o'toole in what was it 2006 or 7 when he got nominated for venus you know another uh, lauded actor in the classic days of hollywood who's makes another big i shouldn't say big movie but who comes back into the Oscar scene decades later. It's very cool. It's it's always great when that happens. Uh, James Stewart, uh, Jimmy, is mm-hmm. in the middle of his... Um, I mean, like, he remains uh, a box office star from the 30s to the 60s. He's, he's pretty much at the top tier. Um, oh, yeah. He has a very, very long career. Uh, he is... Uh, we talked about it earlier. He's great in Anatomy of a Murder. Um... And uh, I, I, um, I, I think I know who my pick is in this category. And it's it's not Jimmy for this one. But um, I will say he is stereotypically great. I mean, like, I, it's very hard to ever have a problem with Jimmy Stewart. But um, his best performance, uh, he didn't win for. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. But his best performance, uh, he lost out to another good performance uh, in 46 uh, for It's a Wonderful Life. Um, he he won for a movie that he is good in, although it probably was a makeup Oscar for Mr. Smith. Yep. Um, and this is kind of comparable to his performance in Mr. Smith, but this is like the, you know, the more lived-in older version of that role, which I think is kind of cool to see. You know, this is kind of, in my opinion, this is like Jimmy Stewart being a lawyer who just doesn't give a shit. 
You know, he pulls a lot of crap in this movie and he gets away with a lot. And I think it's because he's Jimmy Stewart and the way he delivers these lines and these rebuttals and stuff that make it acceptable. I, mean, I, love, I love the way that he explored every side of his um, of his uh, of his uh, persona, I guess is the word I'm looking for, because the thing that's so great about Jimmy Stewart is that he fits perfectly in this movie. He works uh, in a Philadelphia story. He works in It's a Wonderful Life. He works in Rear Window or Vertigo. Um, he works in uh, lighter, uh, like there's a movie called Bell, Book, and Candle that he's in. That he, he and Harvey. And Harvey. You know. Uh, he just, he, 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 he's a, he's an everyman. His his persona is not a suave debonair leading man. It's not um, the Paul Muni great actor. And yet he works in so many different types of movies. It's, it's really astounding how the variety and breadth of his, um, of his projects. And of course, Westerns as well, which I didn't even mention, but he made a lot of Westerns. He made a lot of war movies you know, he works in all of them. Definitely. He really was like the Tom Hanks of his era, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good, that's a good uh, comparison. He's very Tom, Tom Hanks. Very. Uh, he has that, that thing you do, you know? <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> uh, Stupid. <laughs> I, you know, I am tempted to, you know, he has, I know he gets a couple Oscars. He didn't. Uh, I really like Jack Lemmon and Something Like It Hot. That's okay, okay, yes, we should get into the final two nominations here because I do believe it really kind of comes down... Well, I mean, okay, Charlton Heston does win lead actor for Ben-Hur, and then Jack Lemmon, as you just mentioned, nominated for Some Like It Hot. If I could switch these, I would. I would give Jack Lemmon this Oscar. I think he is just perfect in this movie. Some Like It Hot is one of my favorite movies of all time. He really uh, certainly is. in the comedy field, and he is just delightful. <laughs> and some like it hot. We should mention it was it was ranked the the best comedy of all time in the early two thousands by the American Film Institute, and there's a reason. It is wonderfully funny, and it somehow has um, drag as the entire point of the movie and it does it in a way that doesn't feel uh dated or inappropriate now mm -hmm. which i have to say is very very hard because a lot of times when you see drag in films and television shows of this era you end up hitting this very offensive note where um where you're making where you're basically just making fun of a guy in a dress right and in our more enlightened age um or what I hope is a more enlightened age, uh, we, of course, uh, have far more recognition of the various uh, shades of sexuality that exist, and not just sexuality, but um, sexual identification that exists in our society. And Some Like It Hot somehow does not play this movie where drag is the central theme in a way that feels like you're just laughing at guys in a dress or that you're, um, or that's offensive, you know, it is, totally. uh, 
modernistic in a weird way. And I think that's because of the screenplay and the way that's set up. Like these two guys, it's Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis, who I also think Tony Curtis is phenomenal in this movie as well. Um, I think he kind of gets forgotten when we talk about Jack Lemmon so much from this movie because he was singled out for the nomination. But the two of them are basically running from the mob. And the only way to do that is to pretend they're women to escape on this all women's uh, band tour. You know, they're going they're going on tour with this uh, band bandstand. Uh, so it kind of makes sense. It's like you believe that like the only the only way these two can stay alive is if they go undercover. You know, it's, it's played that way. It's almost like they're being sent into um, what's it called when you have to get a new identity and the cops take care of you. What's that called? A uh, witness protection. That's it. It's almost like a witness protection type of a situation, but they, they do it to themselves. Um, and that that's why I think it works. Yeah, it does. Interestingly, this movie was uh, made without the approval of the production code um, because it dealt with cross-dressing and there is some implied um, homosexuality in the film. Yes. Um, And what is probably the most... It is a top five ending of all time, and we'll we'll spoil it in a second. Um, But... uh, uh, Jack Lemmon ends up having basically a romance with uh, this older guy played by Joe E. Brown. That so is good. So, so good. And you're right about Tony Curtis. I, I Tony Curtis does a Cary Grant impression in this movie. <laughs> uh, whenever he is, he, he plays basically three people in the film because he, uh, he plays uh, his, his normal character. He plays the, the female that he's impersonating, and then he plays a male that he's impersonating to woo Marilyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that person uh, is pretending to be Car- Cary Grant, basically. And he does a dead-on Cary Grant impression, which, interestingly, he did make a movie the same year with Cary Grant called uh, Operation Petticoat. That's so, right. Wild. Uh, well, I have a question for you. Would you... Two questions, really. Would you put Tony Curtis in the lead actor category with Jack Lemmon? And also, would you throw Marilyn Monroe into the acting category? Would you give them nominations? Um, I might throw Tony Curtis in. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't seen Paul Muni's performance, but that's the one I probably would take out. Right. Um, I can't. I can't remove anything that's in Best Actress, so... Fair. Would you, okay, well, would you maybe throw Marilyn into supporting actress? I think she's definitely the lead actress in the movie, but I think there might be an argument that could be made to bring her into supporting actress. What do you think about that? I mean, maybe to replace uh, the one two-minuter. Yeah. That, um, certainly she's she's more significant than that. But I, um, you know, as good as Marilyn Monroe is in this movie, I guess I, I'm not in the camp that thinks that she was... Um, some uh, unrealized talent. I, I think that she she did what she did and she did it very well. I don't I don't think there was there was much else to it other than what we saw. Um, and the performance that she gives in this movie is really one that had to be crafted um, in editing largely because there were quite a few moments where she would 
uh, I mean, there was like one scene she had to do a hundred and something takes of, yeah. you know, is not, uh, I mean, which is a largely due to her own personal uh, mental issues. And I don't want to disparage anyone's mental health and what I'm saying. I'm just saying that I, I don't think Marilyn Monroe was, I think she was a great personality more than she was a great actress. I can see that argument. Yep. I would agree with you. Um, but, but I wouldn't mind a double nomination for the for the two guys in this movie because Some Like It Hot really is one of the great comedies of all time, and the ending, in my opinion, is one of the great endings of all time. Um, spoiler: uh, it has the, maybe the greatest last line of any movie, where Tony uh, uh, Jack Lemmon finally reveals that he is indeed a man and not the woman that Joe E. Brown thinks that he's been wooing this entire time and joey brown just looks at him he's like driving a boat and he looks over at him after uh jack lemon says i'm a man and then he looks at him he looks back he goes well nobody's perfect that's so good it's so (laughs) good honestly i could almost love his love throw joey brown into supporting actor as well i think he's such a memorable character in some like it hot we took What's out Arthur name? O'Connell and Hugh, Hugh Griffith, so I mean... Yes, it's like Osgood, Osgood, Feel, Osgood Feeling the Third or something, whatever his name is. Something, I think it's Osgood something. It's, uh, hold on, I'll, I'll, I'll check it. It's uh, something like very rich and yacht and Osgood snooty. Osgood Fielding the Third. There it is, that was almost there. Osgood Fielding the Third. I love, I think he could have been thrown into the supporting actor nomination as well. But I also think, across the board, Some Like It Hot is... A phenomenal picture, and I love that it snuck into um, the actor category, direction category, uh, in all those. Yes. I love it. Uh, 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 Let's see. Anatomy of the Murder is the one who doesn't get the director nomination, which is interesting. Um, It's very hard to make a movie that long and have it work. Uh, So I don't know. And I have to believe, too, that a lot of the style in Anatomy of a Murder is due to Otto Preminger's direction. So I also am curious why he didn't get the nom. Well, I mean, I think that looking at it here, it's pretty clear that we have six uh, really great movies, you know. And he doesn't get the director nom is is basically a stylistic choice at that point, you know. I think Adam, right. Adam Murder is a very stylish movie. It's interesting that it didn't get the director nom, but all of the movies that got director nom are really good, so it's hard to... True. Yeah, it was just a really, really stacked, stacked year. But that brings us to our final category, Best Picture. Let's talk about Charlton Heston as well, uh, who did take lead actor we just, like, for totally, Ben-Hur. I just, I want to say here, I have no shame in saying this. I have no love for Charlton Heston I know him as a right-wing, gun-touting person, um, and yes. that is counter to everything that I am, so it's very hard for me to enjoy him. I'm just going to put that bias out in front. I so, also share your bias, but I also take it one step further and just flatly and plainly say he's not a good actor. He's just not in anything no. he's, that I've seen him do. He's not good. He, is, he might be like a presence, but as far as like actually committing to a moment and, you know, staying in a scene, I don't buy it. No, I feel like he's very he's very self-aware at all points in time. 
yeah. and uh, and never could and never fully commits himself to a a moment, which in a movie like Ben Hur ends up not being a huge. Um, it doesn't weigh the movie down at all because the movie Ben Hur is so much bigger than him that. Uh, which is why it's so odd that he wins for this because, I mean, no offense, Charlton Heston, you could sub lots of other people into this role and the impact for the film would be exactly the same in my opinion i uh, totally agree i totally agree it it's it's a movie that does not it's funny ben-hur is the lead judah ben-hur is the lead character and yet anybody with an ounce of acting talent could have played this role and the movie would would work the same way and I think that is largely due in credit to William Wyler's um, oh. direction of this movie. A hundred percent, right? Because what you're saying is I totally agree with you. This really almost – yes, this movie is about Judah Ben-Hur. But I think more importantly, this is about Christianity and what Christ – the effect Christ had on the people of Judea. You know, I think that is what is really being um, shown on the screen fully. Yes, that is exactly that's exactly what's happening. Um, I mean, it's it's subtitled "A Tale of Christ," and mm-hmm. um, and uh, let me tell you, this is almost the length of Christ's life. Um, <laughs> the movie is uh, three hours and forty five minutes long, um, and you know. Twenty years ago, I defended the length of Gone with the Wind because there is so much plot in that movie that it totally makes sense that it's that long. I will say, I think Ben Hur could be parred down, but, um, but it, it's it's one of those things. Like I would rather any movie in this category besides Ben Hur win Best Picture. Yes, I totally agree with you. <laughs> I. I really like, I think William Wyler does the absolute best he can with the material. I think that there are a score of very effective scenes. The direction in the chariot race, the chariot race is, it deserves the accolades that that scene has gotten over the years. It is indeed a great cinematic sequence. Yes, absolutely. With, that is wonderfully edited and directed. Um, I can't, I like, honestly watching it, I don't know how they did it. Like I was thinking that. It's crazy, right? Which is also kind of interesting too, because the chariot, the actual race scene, which is about what, 15, 20 minutes of the second part of this movie was not directed by William Wyler, which I think is, no, it was directed by, I think it was two other guys that might've been like the, you know, the assistant directing group who did all the other, you know, maybe uh, basic shots of the film, landscape shots and stuff, but they directed the actual chariot race scene. And um, it's it's interesting. I think I should think they won a special Oscar for it, I want to say. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. I thought maybe I'd read that somewhere. Regardless, like it is singled out importantly, but I want to say something in credit to William Wyler as well, which is why I think just the overall production of this movie is phenomenal. Um the way that William Wyler stages all of the scenes with Jesus Christ is so brilliant and so simple. You know, he never shows his face. It's always 
um, from the back of him, and we see other people's reactions to seeing Jesus Christ, and that kind of is what informs us about who this person is. And I think it's just a simple, but his reasoning behind it is even better. You know, he was discussing in an interview how nervous he was because he knew that this was going to have this Christ figure in this movie, and everybody has their own idea of who Jesus Christ is in their brain, and it's going to be impossible to make everybody happy when they watch this movie. So he was like, so I just didn't show his face. And I'm just like, wow, that's so brilliant, (laughs) but so easy. It's funny, too, because William Wyler often joked that it took a it took a Jew to make a good movie about Christ or whatever, um, because he was Jewish. So he was presenting um, he was presenting a history that he does not believe in. Um, (laughs) Yep, totally. And and, uh, I will say there is. You know, as somebody who was raised uh, religiously, who would type myself as more spiritual than I am religious now, the scenes that are most effective in this film, as you say, are the ones that directly correspond with Christ and the end of the movie, um, which uh, handles the crucifixion. is it's it's effective i can't i mean i can't disagree no with girl it. listen Very i well. absolutely got choked up and i was crying like it is effective he knows how to handle that very well and i think you kind of hit it on the head when you said you know he doesn't believe in this message necessarily you know he, this isn't like a, a doctrine or a faith that he really assigns himself to being a jew and i almost i almost think that's why it works he's able to stand back from that, you know, and kind of look at it more constructively and rather than have this biased opinion about Christianity. Do you know what I mean? So he can sort of not play around with it, but he can, he knows the emotions to hit and he knows what is effective because he's seen it affect other people. Yes. I mean, like the first moment that we see adult Christ is, um, when he uh, gives water to uh, Charlton Heston and it is, it's, it's, it's a simple act and it's so effective. And then the, the guy who's like, I guess the, the slave driver of the, of the group sees him and he doesn't confront him at all because he lets it go. Yeah. He lets it go because there's something in his, his presence. But again, you are only seeing the back of his head. Um, again, let's just state all these people are super white. Um, I guess we can assume that Jesus is as well, but thankfully we don't see his face. So we don't really know what he looks like. So we can, we can make him, we can think in our head that he's more accurate. Um, (laughs) totally, totally. But I also Uh, feel like when you said earlier, you know, that a lot of this movie can be cut down. I totally agree. Like if he had just made this more of a story about Ben Hur's relationship to becoming a Christian and just told that part of it. You know what I mean? Because then you get into all this. I think the whole subplot of his love for Esther is just so awful. I don't buy their love at uh, all. And maybe it's because Charlton Heston is a terrible romantic actor. She apparently found makeup before anybody had ever discovered it. And um, she, uh, 
never doesn't look flawless. <laughs> no, but also she is Iranian. I read. I think she was originally from Iran. So she's the only person who actually is Middle Eastern in this movie. <laughs> well, she is stunningly gorgeous, I will say. But yes, um, that whole story is just a sidetrack. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, there's just a lot of ways this could have been parred down by at least like a half hour. And, um, you know, uh, there are lots of great sequences. Um, it is an impressive feat. Yes. In many ways, the music is gorgeous, I will say. Um, I loved the score. Um, also, William Wyler reuses an actress from the best years of our lives. I believe her name is Kathy O'Donnell. Yes. She plays the sister of yep. Ben Hur in the movie who ends up uh, having leprosy and um and she's great uh i mean like she doesn't have much to do but i'm just saying like i really when i realized i was like oh that's homer's girl from yes you hear it i heard it too you know because a lot for a lot of the movie you don't really see her face because she's covering it because of the leprosy but it's her voice and i go oh my gosh that's that is exactly who that is totally i had that reaction too she's apparently only played these nice sweet parts definitely so I know um, what you're saying. I do believe, like, Ben-Hur, if we're going to – if we're, you know, breaking down the Best Picture Award as the most outstanding production of the year, mm-hmm. I understand Ben-Hur winning not only this but ten other Oscars as well, you know, making it the record holder. Um, but I need more than that. You know what I mean? For me personally, the production is great. I can respect that. But if the story – and the impact of the story doesn't equal the production, then I just can't get into it. And to me, that's where the unbalance is in Ben-Hur. The substance just doesn't match the gravitas of the production. I I, I would agree with you. Um, I totally, I understand why it won. It won why, the same reason why lots of movies of this style win. Because it is... It's an awe, awe movie. You mm-hmm. know, like, you stand in awe of the movie. Um, but uh, it's not... Um, it, the substance is not... The thing, the thing that takes an epic... Um, you know, we've, we've watched other epics. Uh, I would consider From Here to Eternity an epic. Mm-hmm. Um we uh what's what's another one uh uh gone with the wind uh sure mrs miniver mrs miniver um the thing about those movies and mrs miniver is a good one to bring up um because of the director of that movie is there is i think and part of this may be due to the leading actor and my lack of connection with him there is more of an emotional connection with the character arcs in those movies And and I feel like there is more depth of character in the film. Whereas I I mean, like there were a few moments. It's funny, like there's there's so much that can be parred down, but then there's also um, scenes like where, like when we find out that Charlton that Ben Hur is a great chariot race. It's almost like an aside i don't know if you noticed this but it's at a party and they're like well since you're so good at racing those chariots now and we're like like okay i guess that's true (laughs) this moment and suddenly we're just like oh he's gonna be good at chariot races cool yes i agree Um, 
it's like uh, we don't have any setup for that, and it ends up being such a consequential part of the plot. Um, so uh, I, I feel like there's that lack of... Um, I, I mean, like, it, there's times where the movie gets bogged down in its own weight. Yes, but I think you're right. I think in these other epic films, even if we're going to talk about Mrs. Miniver, another William Wyler movie, those actors know how to let you in. You know what I mean? There is that vulnerability that you see on the screen, and Charlton Heston just does not have that quality. And there's um, – I was watching a William Wyler interview, and he talks about directing Charlton Heston, and there was a moment where he walked up to um, Heston on set and was like, you have to be better in this movie. You know what I mean? And Charlton Heston was like, oh, God, uh, okay, um, how? And William Wyler, of course, not being – you know, an acting coach is like, I don't know, but you just have to be better and you're not there yet. You know what I mean? And I honestly don't think he ever does get there. And it's yeah. interesting to know that William Wyler was aware of that, but he was kind of stuck with him, you know? Yeah, no, I he didn't he didn't want him. And I I read that he, he was never really satisfied with his performance at all. Um, so it it makes sense that he would have he would have said that. Um yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I would agree with his assessment. And Ben-Hur, I mean, and William Wyler had, up until this point, had a penchant for working with the best of the best actors and people, and he was able to get the best out of them just because he did so many different takes. Um, he, but also, like, that's credit to those actors, too, where they're giving him something different on all those takes, you know? And yeah, I just have to believe that even if Charlton Heston got 20 takes at one scene, it was probably the same, you know, performance, all 20 of those takes. <laughs> oh, I, I would undoubtedly think it would be. And William Wyler, um, William Wyler probably was also, I mean, he probably couldn't do 20 takes of every scene with this particular movie. He probably, um, because of how bloated the production was, he he likely had to to move a little bit differently and shots probably took a lot longer to set up whenever he was on the locations and, and whatnot. Um, so he probably was, uh, I, I would imagine that he, um, he, this, this feels like a movie that would have frustrated him. I, oh, I'm yeah. just, I feel frustrated for him because it's, it's not a typical William Wyler, small acting movie, you know, I don't know. Definitely. Uh, yeah, no, this is his epic, you know, and he's like, it, though. exactly. Yeah. He was given the highest paid deal a director had ever been given for this movie. I think it was something like $325,000, which in today's dollars is $16.70 billion. It's a lot of money. Um, but he uh, also uh, was given a back-end deal where he got like 3 or so percent of the profits and this ended up being the second highest grossing, grossing movie of all time up to this point, behind Gone with the Wind. Um, and so this movie made William Wyler set for life. Exactly. So, like, he, he honestly, you know, I mean, I'm sure he was still getting paid, getting paychecks from this movie until the day he died. You know what I mean? This movie's going to keep making money as long as there's movies. You know, it keeps getting thrown into re-releasing anniversary editions special editions you know what i mean it's, it's taken that a lifetime a life of its own you know what i mean beyond the screen it's a it's its own presence and it is a 
70 millimeter movie, I will say I was impressed just uh, looking at it on my TV. I was impressed and streaming it, you know, yeah. with the with the clarity of the picture and the the depth of the shots. And I mean, it is a very pretty experience as well. So definitely, absolutely, it's gorgeous feelings. But I mean, I personally would go with uh, probably Anatomy of a Murder. That's your best picture pick. Yeah. I love that. Okay, that's fun. Oh, God. I'm trying to... Out of the ones nominated, I would have to go with... I have to go with Room at the Top. I just love... I think I would watch that movie again over Anatomy of a Murder. Maybe just because Anatomy of a Murder is just a little long. It doesn't feel long. I'm not saying it felt long or anything like that. But it is a long but It is a long movie. So rewatch value, I'd probably give Room at the Top the award. But, but honestly... If I could pick any of the films, I would choose Some Like It Hot. That would be my best yeah. picture winner. Some Like It Hot is definitely, I think, the movie that has uh, lived on the – that has uh, had the longest shelf life. For, I mean, like, I guess Ben-Hur gets played again <laughs> and again. But, I mean, I feel like Some Like It Hot now is more relevant. Definitely. Ben- it's also, a more enjoyable experience. They remade Ben-Hur a couple of years ago. It, The remake of Ben-Hur didn't – well, I mean, somehow they made it even more offensive than this version of Ben-Hur. They also didn't use, you know, ethnically appropriate actors in the remake either. Yeah, and we're supposed to be in a quote-unquote more enlightened time. Which um, it is not. Yeah, no, and I that if someone says Ben-Hur, they still are thinking about this movie. They're not – I don't think anybody has really <laughs> – I don't yeah. think the, the remake made a blip. It's – it's no. Yeah. Let's take a look at what we're going to get into – the following week. So actually, I think we're going to take a pause on uh, before we get to 1960. We're going to do a ranking uh, in our next um, episode of yeah. the decade of the 50s. So we're going to rank all the best picture winners from the 1950s. I'm excited you know, about you, doing this. If you watch all the best pictures from the 1950s back to back, it would take you seven days. And, and <laughs> I don't know if it would take that long. It, <laughs> but it might. <laughs> it it. This the de- we've watched some long movies this year. This this yes, decade we have, and I will say the fifties like such such high high highs and such low low lows it's for best picture winners. Like one year we were like all about Eve, and then somehow we get like uh what's the around the world in eighty days? I don't know how I don't know how they were picking things in the fifties because. It's insane to me that from here to eternity and Grey's show on Earth are in back-to-back years. Like, I can't. Isn't that just wild? I think that's absolutely crazy, too. Yeah, it's it's a definite... Yeah, this is a, a very interesting decade. It's going to be fun to kind of see where you rank your winners. Uh, so join us next time, everybody, as we rank the 1950s. 